The Gospel of John, so please open John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And uh, the text I was given, I would have preferred another text, to be honest, but it's, it's where it falls, and it's kind of like a, it, it, it's a, it's a heavy hitter now. It's a heavy hitter. So I'm just going through the text. Don't, don't get upset with me. If you're visiting, amen, keep on coming out. Um, you know, um, there's something special, if you recall the conference that we hosted, you guys did a great job, HDR conference. And we go there, and it's only like, like a weekend, right? Really, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday afternoon. So it's not like, well, maybe two days, full days, but it's just a special time when you go there and you drive and you, and, uh, and we're blessed because we don't have to drive that far. But I knew disciples traveling for, for hours and breaking up their, their journey is to come and fellowship. But how special is that? That, that excitement, the singing. And then, then you think about, I, by the way, there, there's a countdown next year to the 2020. Orlando, how awesome is that? And let me tell you, I don't complain about distance anymore. Because I can't wait for that conference. Because I was stuck on an island for eight years. <laughs> I could not, it was just, the nearest church was four hours by plane. And so that was it. And I missed out on the previous one, so... If you want to complain about the distance, don't complain to me, uh, or I'll help you out, because I'm looking forward to it. There's something special about coming together. It's exciting, and even, even afterwards, your heart gets so soft, you see things differently. It's awesome. We're going to pick up in a time here after one of the greatest feasts, the Feast of the Tabernacles, which was a, a full week of celebration that God had designed for God's people to reflect and to remember all that God did in the greatest physical rescue of all time. There's no comparison. I can go on tangents on that, but we don't got time for that. Oh, got to focus. But I just think God's so awesome. And amen, I know, amen. Real quick. God is so awesome. What kind of rescue plan have you ever heard about this? That God's going to rescue the Israelites from the Egyptians. He's gonna, they're going to walk out in broad daylight. There is no like by night, no like charging horses on the way out. They're going to walk out and Pharaoh, you're going to agree to it. A million plus people and then you're going to give them parting gifts. How awesome is God? So the Feast of the Tabernacles was about this time of remembering. And it's not just a moment of being rescued Physically from slavery, but God, in a sense, really baptized them in the Red Sea, doesn't he? And he leads them out and guides them through the wilderness on the promised land. So the time to remember the Feast of Tabernacles must have been an amazing time to be there. And there's great moments that Jesus makes dec big declarations that you can't get around. I am the light of the world. How do you get around that? He's not a good teacher, not a philosopher. He's saying clearly, I am the light of the world. Wow, who speaks like that? Your Lord does. So we'll pick up in verse 31. A little bit of reading. I had to uh, print it out in large print now because 
I'm getting older. Hey, let me tell you, you, have, you, better, you better, better get humble because you have no option. It's just, it's like, it's humbling, right? Amen. Here we go. A little bit of reading here. Here we go. And um, in John 8, 31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we, have, we are Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say we'll be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, and everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if, you're, if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in my father's presence, and you are doing what you've heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you're Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would, be, you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I've heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We're not illegitimate children. They protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I've come here from God. I've not come on my own. God has sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, but there's no truth in him. For when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe in me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you're not here is that you don't belong to God. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying you're a Samaritan, demon-possessed? I'm not demon-possessed. I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus. But I honor my Father, you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there's one who seeks it, and he is a judge. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaim, now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died in it, and so did the prophets, yet you're... You say, whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Moses? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. I said it, I, I said I did not. If I did not, sorry, let me go to verse 55 of mine. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not even 50 years old, they said to him. And you've seen Abraham? Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds. 
Jesus is not only worthy to be followed, he's pretty awesome. The great prophet would say about the coming Messiah that he would bind up the brokenhearted. He'll proclaim freedom for the captives and he will release darkness those who are in prison. That's Isaiah 61. It's pretty amazing that one day the Messiah would come to set us free. Awesome. You know, it is interesting. You go from verse 31. You go, how awesome is that? It says, they come from a moment they, they believe in Jesus. That's pretty awesome. We fast forward to verse 59. They're picking up stones. How do you go from Jesus, you're awesome, to we're going to kill him, to physically picking up stones? Something happened. In a conversation that Jesus had with them, something happened. How can you respond that way? But obviously, none of, none of us would ever do that. I would never do that. From great belief in Jesus, and after a very spiritual, I know we think ACR conference was awesome, and it was, but there's no comparison to the Feast of Tabernacles. There's a commentary that said that a rabbi, that to actually, you, you had to have been there to have seen it. Wow! How much softer of a heart can you get to be there for seven days of worship? And yet still, at the end, you want to kill Jesus. Wow! You know, Jesus comes forward in verse 31, and he says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I have two points this morning. Point one, it's God's word that gives you freedom. It's God's word that gives you freedom. If you remember, in the beginning of John, it refers to the word became flesh, which is our Lord Jesus. So it really is Jesus who sets us free. We can also inter interchange the idea of God's word. It's what sets us free. Now think about what Jesus is offering. He's offering freedom. Freedom. Our Lord came to set us free. Colossians 1.13 says, For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness. And not just rescued us from the dominion of darkness, he brought us into the kingdom of his son he loves, in whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. They had celebrated. And not just that, they had celebrated. At this point, they would have all heard of Jesus. Rumors are going, Jesus, who is this Jesus? For sure they would have heard of the miracles happening. And perhaps they were the end result of miracles happening. And still with all that, interesting, they're still not set free. That's a, a thought in itself. That I could witness miracles. And I, for my life, I'm sure with your life, how many times have you prayed? And moments that you had, God, if you bail me out of this one, and God comes through over and over and over again on his part, and sadly, on my part, I would not come through. So miracles would happen. But what Jesus is offering here is more. is freedom. It's a time of freedom. You know, they could have responded differently, by the way. 
They could have said, uh, I don't know what you mean, but I want to be free. End the story. And next chapter. That's not what happens. I think of Jonah, and I might get in trouble with Jonah for saying this. In the Bible, I think he preached, forgive me, well, I'll meet him one day. Probably the worst sermon of all time. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Let me explain why. Let me explain why. He, got, he pretty much says what? A few words. He goes to Nineveh and he preaches 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. He's upset. Not happy. Been spit out by a whale. And he says it and they all go, yay! Yet Jesus is full of compassion. Full of love. And doesn't give these, these words. He gives so much more. Nineveh responds. I mean, the repentance is so amazing. If you read the text, even it says the animals were wearing sackcloth. I just think of the cows going, I did nothing. There is the good heartedness, and here there's no good hearted, is, is there? What did Jesus offer up to this point? Who is like our Lord who says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I can't think of anything I can do in my whole life that can guarantee never. Never go hungry. Never be thirsty. But your Lord and my Lord offered that. And not just that. Then he says, I am the light of the world. And follows up with this. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Now you think about that. And it's not just being set free. It goes back that moment, by the way. It's good to read Exodus because it's a very pivotal moment throughout the Bible. But he just God rescues them and takes them out and then puts a light in front of them to guide them through a path they've never been before. To go to the promised land. And our Lord has offered that as well. But even beyond that, beyond hunger, beyond curing thirst, beyond direction, freedom. Freedom. And their response? We're Abraham's descendants. How can you say we'll be set free? Wow. Wow. Man, if I'm not careful of my heart, my heart can go to dark places. They're insulted. We're not slaves of anyone. We belong to Abraham. And Jesus makes a point. You're not living like Abraham. You may be a physical descendant, but you're not a spiritual offspring at all. Abraham was very different. You're badly mistaken. In fact, Genesis 26, verse 5, it says, Abraham obeyed. God says, because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. It was, he was a man of faith, but his faith is seen in his obedience. By the way, it takes great faith to obey God's instructions. So Abraham's faith can be seen by his obedience. He didn't know where he was going I'm going to trust God's word. They're disillusioned. 
Obviously, they're not talking about being physical slaves because we could be here all day talking about all the slavery they went through in the Old Testament. Put aside Egypt and Assyria and Babylon, and how about even now, they're under the Romans, right? But the slavery they're insulted by is a spiritual slavery, but Jesus makes it very clear. In verse 34, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. I'm not sure. I haven't checked. Um, anyone sin here? I, I don't know. Anyone ever sin at least once? Don't look at your, don't look at your spouse. I'm talking about looking at yourself. <laughs> My heart can be so bad. I can hear an awesome song. I could be at church and I could still mess up. We're slaves to our sin. And it's not just the idea of there's proof of past. It's just you're actively enslaved by sin. And Jesus is offering freedom from that. But not just freedom, he's offering sonship. Now a slave in verse 35 has no permanent place in the family, but the son belongs to it forever. He's offering more than that. And the response is, we're not illegitimate children. Our father we have is God himself. You know, it's amazing how our Lord asks questions that reveal the heart. Why is my language not clear to you? Wow, how do you get around that? You know, there's, it's interesting if you, I remember reading something that if you take time to see how many questions were asked of Jesus, he's asked quite a few hundred. The only response to like three. Something to think about as you're praying. Where are you, God? The truth is, Jesus has more questions for them than they realize. And God has more questions for you than you have for him. It's convicting, isn't it? I love my Lord. I mean, he's being, at this point, ganged up, unafraid. Why is my language not clear to you? Wow. He could have just stopped right there. But he continues. It's almost like he does a paternity test. An uncomfortable paternity test with Jesus. Abraham's not your father. Satan's your father. Hey, welcome to church. Amen. (laughs) In my mind, I thought... It's probably too much. Satan, you are the father. (laughs) No! You know, like. But they're so enslaved, they're even confused or disillusioned. And and Jesus takes the time at this point to even explain. You know how you can tell, you know, interesting, when people see my kids, uh, sometimes they say, I could see you in them. Maybe not a good thing, you know. And I want all, I want all the positive attributes of daddy and all the bad parts of my, my wife, you know, like, oh, no, no, I'm joking, you know what I mean. But there's facial features. You can't mistake in my daughter. You go, that's, that's, yep, that's her daddy right there. May not be a good thing. And he says, you know what, let me, let's talk about some little features that your dad has. He's unable to hold truth. You belong to your father, the devil, 
and you want to carry out his desires, not holding on the truth, for there's no truth in him. For he lies, when he lies, you speak his native language, for he's a liar and a father of lies. You know, of all the descriptions that describe Satan, not even the father of sexual morality, the father of fits of rage, the father of malice, the father of lies. That's scary. If I don't love the truth, I'm in a scary spot. And I, t- I need to, it's important also to live in truth to be able to receive it. That changes things. No, no longer do we say a little white lie. Because even that, I've taken it, if you've lived overseas or if you've been overseas, sometimes you're there in a strange place and you hear someone speak in an American accent and you catch it. You're like, hang on here. This is different. It's not, good day, mate. This is very different. And I've taken that to, to, to think, if I lie, Satan goes, oh, huh. Speaking my language. He's unable to hold truth. And I want to understand God's word. I need to be a person of truth. It was a scary moment. You got to also think about that. They're arguing with Jesus. Come on, guys. What's wrong with them arguing with Jesus? Well, we would never do that. I would never do that, argue with Jesus. And it's interesting because, again, this is God's truth. We live in a time that God's word is so available now, more than ever. It's so accessible. I remember being, I actually went to, I was in a hotel recently, a couple months ago, and I opened up just to check, and there is a Bible. I thought, oh, I didn't know what happened after eight years. It's there, you know. But it's so accessible. We even have it on our phones. What translation do you want? I could pull it up right now. But it's not even that. It's how I respond. Do I love God's truth? Do I battle with it? Do I respond to it? Moving along here, we'll be here forever. Second point. How do you respond to God's word? Obviously, it's how do you respond? How do they respond to Jesus? But how do we respond to God's word? I was going to say amen. Let me go back real quick. Amen. I was going to say that they're very passionate, aren't they, about what they believe? And just because you're passionate doesn't make it true. And being of the Latino descent, we are passionate. But being passionate doesn't mean truth. And there's a great passage, and I can't go there in 1 Kings 18, where there, there, there's all these prophets against one prophet, and it says that they believed in their God so much in 1 Kings 18 that they shouted, they slashed themselves with swords and spears, and blood flowed, and they're frantic. And just because you have all that passion doesn't mean truth. Only truth we can find is only here. So I can't trust my logic, and I can't trust my emotions. I gotta trust God's word to rescue me, to guide me out. How do you respond to God's word, second and last? How do they respond? The first response is, again, it could have been like, absolutely, yes, 
I don't know what that means. It's confusing. But we want to be set free. That's not how they respond. The first response is, they puff themselves up. Do you not know we belong to Abraham? As if you're talking to Jesus. He knows all things, okay? We belong to Abraham. We're Abraham's descendants. We're not slaves to anybody. Verse 39, Abraham is our father. We're not illegitimate children. I come from a spiritual heritage. What's that got to do with truth? I remember when I first uh, came back from uh, visiting church for the first time, and then I came home and I was like, Mom, I was a teen. I went to this awesome church. It was awesome. She goes, Oh, mijito, you're going to be a priest. <laughs> it's all in Spanish, by the way. It's all in Spanish. She was so happy. Oh, you know, because I got in so much trouble as a teenager. So, oh, yes. And, oh, man. And, oh, oh she, you know, we come from a family of nuns. Like, what in the world? <laughs> and she said, uh, Mother Teresa, she knows one of the, like, what does that got to do? With anything. <laughs> Bless my mom's heart. She's awesome. But it's, what does that got to do with, you know, sometimes our heritage, whatever we think, can make us believe we have nothing else more to grow in. I don't know how many churches you've been a part of. What does that got to do with anything? So? It doesn't matter how long you've been a disciple. Praise God. I'm a different season of life. I have a lot to repent of still now. You know, I can't go back. Secondly is to try to discredit Jesus. Aren't we right in saying you're Samaritan and being possessed? What does that do with anything? But they can't take the truth. They're sort of break down Jesus. Oh, you must not get it. You must be a, those halflings over there, the Samaritans. They're demon-possessed. Really? How about truth is truth? But we can do that, can't we? God sends people my way, and instead of me being humble, I'm breaking them down in my mind. Got a log in your eye, girl. Look at you. Look at your kids. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I'm talking to you about your son again. Let me talk to you about your son again. <laughs> but again, you never do that here. Let's talk about your marriage. Let's talk about your marriage. Like, my goodness. And lastly, they want to kill him. Pick up stones to kill Jesus. He's just offering truth. Again, we will never do that. But I'll quickly cut you off. You know, in the, in the fellowship, I will avoid that, in, that contact right there. I'm gonna, oh, she's over there. I'm going to walk this direction right now. Oh, there he is. I'm going to go this way. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for inventing caller ID. I can scream my phone. <laughs> I was busy. No, you weren't. Stop it. It's not loving truth, is it? You know, it's sad when Jesus approaches Jerusalem and he says in Matthew 23, verse 37, 
Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who are sent to you. How often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathered her chicks under her wings. But you're not willing. You know, God's desire has always been that we obey his truth. It sets us free. We'll never thirst. We'll never hunger. But it'll give us direction through the wilderness to be set free from sin. And from the very beginning of time, if you recall, how many times God sends people over and over and over again? All throughout the Bible, God uses people, and he's deliberately sending people over again and again and again. Even the parable, of the, the parable of the vineyard is about that, isn't it? He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. It's he's over and over and over again. God uses people in our lives. Number 22, he's, he uses the donkey. Come on, guys, the donkey. Even the donkey's like, I'm a donkey. How do you respond to truth? How do you respond to truth? It's only God's word that can set you free. You know, God is going to be using, God has his word there. He's going to send people your way to help you. How do you embrace that? You know, um, by the way, I did the same lesson in South Beach. Don't take offense of it. And if you're offended, all right. <laughs> Even this, if no one's coming to you, that's something you should worry about. If no one's come up to you for a while, maybe you're not approachable. But you and me want to be set free, don't we? I need people in my life. The Feast of the Tabernacle, I mean, they used to have a lot of festivities, they had singing, that worship. I mean, moments, it must have been amazing. All that done, they don't want truth in their lives. It's sad, isn't it? We need people in our lives to help us. I need God's word to be set free. I turned 24 as a disciple. I'm approaching 25. What a blessing. But you know, um, I have a lot of things to have to repent of. And one of the things that's come out, but I, I should have known about it, is my anger. Brothers and sisters, I'm ashamed. But I, I'll justify myself, I'm not that angry. But only certain things trigger my anger. When I feel attacked, and it's not good because I grew up in a certain environment. It's like, all right, we can go down together if you want. And don't let anyone disrespect you. That's how I grew up. But that's not life of a disciple. I have hurt relationships. And even looking at my wife and going, oh, she's Colombian. They have 30 years of war. It ain't on my mind. Like, hang on, stop it. <laughs> Instead of like, what about me? And it's sad that I can't be set free on my own. And we've been lied to with all these self-help books. And you can't do it. So I have to write down scriptures about um, being angry. I'm having to pray about it. And I'm talking about it. I'm having to, I'm having to look at ang my anger as I look at lust. 
It's a daily battle for me. A daily battle with my kids when they start, again, the part Colombian. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. It's not their fault. El Salvador has no problems for sure. Amen. I need to be set free. I need God's word in my life. I want to respond righteously when God sends people my way. I don't want to respond like King Ahab when he sends Elijah to me and I go, is that you, you troubler of Israel? I don't want to respond uh, King Ahab again when, he's, when the, someone re, someone's recommended for him to, to go get answers from and he goes, no, I hate him. He never says anything good about me but only bad, 1 Kings 22. I don't respond how they responded to Jeremiah when he preached the truth and they put him in a cistern. I don't respond like that. I don't respond how they responded to John the Baptist that Herod imprisoned him, Herodias beheaded him. As I get older as a disciple, I want to keep on embracing truth and loving truth and knowing that God is going to use people in my life to help me. And that's humbling. I need people in my life. Let us be a people to be set free. I see my brothers and sisters here. I see a group of disciples who want to continue to be set free. Don't you? I see it in you. I see it in you. You cannot be set free on your own. You need God's word in your life. He will set you free. He will guide you. It's God's word that sets you free. But as you hear God's word and you read the scripture, ask yourself, how will I respond? Will I be critical? Will I get angry? Well, I will be humble and respond to it, how God wants me to respond. An honor to be here with you guys. Thank you.